So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for each person here today. Lord, it's been so hot, and your people, are, are many are on vacation. Maybe some have said it's too hot to get out, but irregardless of that, every person here and every person that is and will be listening to this message, I pray that you would carry the truth and the insight and that you would reveal the spiritual things that you want each one of us to hear and to receive and to apply to our hearts and to take those things in and know, Father, that you're speaking to us and touching us, that we will have that encounter with you, that we will experience you, and that our hearts and our lips will just lift you up in praise because of it. I pray that you will anoint and bless this message and carry it your way for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, I said the title of the message today is In Good Standing. Now, if you uh, take that from the standpoint of standing for God, that's very important. That's what I've been talking about. But in good standing, it has another connotation to it. And so I want to I focus on that. So uh, we know that we've been talking over the last few weeks how America has pushed God out of its culture. They're pushing God back, pushing him back, pushing him back, and replaced him with false gods. And so we had different things on the screen showing that. One that stands out in my mind is the parallel picture of the Empire State Building, where in 2015 there was the image of Kali was on the Empire State Building, and then in 2015, and then in 1958, there was a cross on the Empire State Building. And so that contrast shows from focusing on God and us as a nation honoring him to having fallen into paganism because that's part of paganism that of course we talked about last week so we know america has pushed out god we know it in our industries we know it in our our public places that the our culture has done the best they can to remove the things of god the things that point to god uh, taking the scriptures out taking uh, statues out that reflect on god so many different things and so we also noted last week that how the Israelites, almost immediately after being freed from Egypt, built a golden calf, and they began worshiping it. After they had just gone through the, a tremendous victory in God, a deliverance from Egypt through the Red Sea. Sure, they were in the wilderness, but they got impatient on God, and so they said, well, Moses doesn't seem to be coming off the mountain. I guess he's not coming back. And guess God isn't our God, and we're going to make our own God. And we can be a very impatient people by nature. And sometimes we don't see God working. But it doesn't mean that we're going to turn our back on God, but we remain that much more faithful to him. All right? Amen? And so the Israelites pushed out God, the one true God, as we read in Exodus chapter 32. So I want to go back to that biblical account and look at God's response and Moses' response to the Israelite actions. Exodus 32, 7-10. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Boy, the audacity. 
And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people, stubborn, bullheaded people. That's what, what he's saying. Now, therefore, let me alone, that, I, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. God was pretty perturbed with the lack of faith and commitment to God on the part of the Israelites, seeing what God had done for them. You know, I heard, I think it was yesterday, a rabbi that I was listening to, Kathy and I were listening to, and he said, you know, the Israelites wanted to see things to prove that God was there and real and powerful. But he has found in his ministry that most people that rely on seeing, seeing is believing, mm -mm, no, it, it, it's, he says the people that put their faith in Christ because what they have seen and his miracles generally don't stay faithful. And he found that particularly true amongst Jews. Many of them receive miraculous signs and then they just kind of fall away. But those that put their faith on God without the signs, there's something internal happening there that stirs that focus on God without the miracle, without the, the wonder of God before them that's tangible or tangibly seen. And so this is something that the Israelites were doing. They, they saw a miracle, but it only took about a month or so for them to turn away from God. And that's a sad thing. We can have a height of experience with God, but the height of experience of God doesn't carry us necessarily all the way through. The, the heart that is genuine toward God and committed to God, it says, look, I want to follow you, whatever the path is. That's where that resolve in our own heart and our own spirit comes out. And, and then there's a commitment that goes with that. God saw their sin and stubborn hearts and decided it would be better to wipe them out and start over with a new people from Moses. In other words, he was gonna, Moses was going to have a lot more sons. Okay? At 80. At 80. <laughs> hey, they, if, if Abraham and Sarah, no problem at 90. So, God's goal was to have a righteous people representing him in this world. And that's one of the factors for standing, for good standing, is that God's goal is that he has a righteous people representing him in the world. It doesn't mean arrogant people, self-righteous people. It means people whose hearts are in love with Jesus, that are committed to him in spite of the circumstance, and they've given their lives over to him, and, they, and their life shows evidence of that. God wants uh, to have a righteous people representing him in this world. If we don't see Christians who are made righteous through faith in Christ. All of us are made righteous through faith in Christ. That's why the scripture says that we're saints, right? We don't see ourselves as saints or righteous, but in Christ Jesus, we are. And so we are called to live that out through faith in Christ. Look at Romans 3, 1 and 2. It says, what advantage then has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. What, what's really being said here? They say, look, what is the big deal about Jews? They're, they're called out to be Jewish people. They're, they're, in, their, in their day, they're, they were called out to be circumcised even in their culture now, right? Uh, and he's saying, what's the, what's, the, what's the big deal? Was it those things? 
It was the fact that God wanted them to be faithful to hold up the oracles or the word of God that he had entrusted them with. And you and I are called to hold up true to Jesus, which means holding true to his word. You know, we can say emotionally, I'm true to Jesus and I love Jesus, but if we don't stand true to his word, then it kind of throws that statement of loving Jesus into a very weak stance. And so proof of the pudding is how well we stand on Jesus and his word. And so from the beginning, God had entrusted the Jews with the oracles or written revelation of God. God's people were to share his word with the world. You know, it's, it's, it's all of our responsibility. We know that. And it's, it's as simple as this, that when something comes up, that if we are following the Lord, we're in his word, we're under the teaching, the preaching of his word, we're gaining what, what things and insights that God wants to teach us that way, and we're gaining insights and ex through experience that we have with Christ Jesus, right? And so between our own personal experiences and the word of God, we see how God works and the truth of God so that when we're engaged in uh, conversation with people that we know at work or school or in our families or wherever, that God will, if we allow him and listen to him, he will pull up things that we can plug in in response to the conversation. And we have to be a people that are willing to let God use us to plug him in <laughs> because the plugging is the salt. You see, that's the salt God's called us to be. And the, and, the, and the overall picture is that we're being light to those that only know darkness because they're spiritually dead if you don't know Christ. We're spiritually dead if you don't know Christ. So going back to the, the, to the Israelites, at this point in Exodus, the Israelites were instead forgetting their God and teaching the world that's, that Egypt's God was better. So when you and I forfeit standing on the truth of God's word and we embrace world philosophy because it's out of love that we do this, if we embrace sin because it's loving, what are we saying? We're saying the one true God is not the issue. The God that we make here is. And we talked about how even the perverseness of society is a reflection of, of a pagan god. Ishtar, I think it was. And so we still have that paganism influence just packaged in a different way, in a different way. So let's go back to Exodus 32 again and see what Moses' response was to the people of Israel who made the golden calf. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. And remember, Abraham Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So this is a promise. This is what God, God's intention was. This is what he's telling the people of Israel. Now God, God has already said, well, we can make another people through you, Moses. 
I can wipe them out. We'll just start over with another group of people. But Moses is saying, no. He's a good shepherd. He's, he's going to God. He's saying, God, think about what you're, what you're doing. I find that absolutely intriguing or fascinating of the boldness and the directness that Moses had with God. You and I can have that direct boldness with God, too. I'd be a little afraid, <laughs> too. <laughs> but, you know, there have been times when I've been blunt and I say something, and I go, forgive me, Lord, I don't mean to be insulting or rude to you, you know. But God does not mind our straightforwardness with him because it gets to the core of what we're talking about. And he works with us. And so I, I appreciate the candidness of Moses in his relationship with God. So Moses pleads with God for the people of Israel based on God's reputation. Now this is going to come up to the end of the message will culminate where, where we are in America and what we're to be doing. God's name, his standing or reputation in the world is seen or known through his people. I already stated that another way. We are called to be his people in a world of darkness. Nothing wrong with being God's people. The world will tell you it's wrong. But I tell you what, there's a fulfillment and a blessing for standing up and being the person that God wants you to be in him. That's what God wants. God wanted the Israelites to represent him and to teach his word and share the good news about the coming Messiah to the world. God wanted his people to reveal God to others through their words and actions. And instead, they were damaging God's name and reputation by their idol worship. When you and I embrace the philosophy and the principles of the world of darkness and evil, we are damaging the reputation of God. Because we've made a declaration, I'm a Christian, but I'm embracing what God says not to embrace. And so we need to be careful that as we, as we are called to stand for him, that we do not damage his reputation. That we do not confuse uh, love and grace with God's standards of holiness. But that, we, but that we rely on the truth of God's word and what he gives us to stand on. So then Moses recognized that the destruction of Israel by God's judgment for their sin would further damage God's name and reputation. I like, you know, God's, God knows all this stuff. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. And it's interesting, he lets Moses talk to him. He says, look, God, just look at this. <laughs> you know, let me help enlighten you. <laughs> That's basically kind of what he's doing. You know, this is, they, they know that these are your people, so you're going to give opportunity to destroy them so that the people and the nations will say that God wasn't faithful to them and that he's not worth it. I wonder if in God's heart, God was just so pleased with Moses. Because he wanted to honor the name of God. And that's where our hearts need to be. Moses desired that the world sees God's love and mercy displayed, not his wrath or judgment. And we know that, we know that if a person dies without Christ as their Savior, there is wrath and judgment. And it comes in the culmination of eternal separation from God and hell. That's the scripture. People don't like hearing that. But, but God wants you and I as believers in Christ to display his love and mercy so that people will gain hope. 
We talked about that a little bit last week. People need hope in their dire straits that they, that they allow themselves to get into. We get, a, we get into dire straits too, but we have the Lord to help us. And there are people that are, are in dire straits that don't know the Lord and need to. So thankfully in Exodus 32, 14 we read, so the Lord relented. Now relented doesn't mean that God made a mistake and he said, okay, you're right, Moses. It means in the, in the original language in Hebrew, it means to turn from. This is where I was, what I was going to do, but I'm going to turn from that. That's why sometimes you'll see it as a repent. Immediately we hear repent, repent of sin. Some translations would have that. But to relent is simply to say, Moses, I'm not going to go in the direction you wanted me to, that I was choosing to go. I'm going to, I'm going to back up. And so that's not because of sin, but because he relented. He turned from that decision. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And God showed great mercy and relented. So praise God for that. I, I think there may be times in our own life where we talk to God or someone talks to God on our behalf that maybe God has relented on our, on our behalf. Who knows, right? Moses desired the world, obviously, going back to that, sees God's love and mercy displayed, not his wrath or judgment. And God takes seriously how his people represent him. There's part of the challenge that we're talking about today is standing, right, for God, as the scriptures, as the scriptures, as the title of the message is, excuse me for that. So I want to look at Paul and what he told the Roman church and us about his call. Now we're switching modes here, but we're called to be in good standing and to stand as his people in a world of darkness that needs to see and know that God is real and alive and powerful and loves him. Moses desired that the world sees, <laughs> I did it again. So Romans 1, 5 through 6. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. We read that again. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. What is the apostleship? That word apostleship means that God has sent us out. God, it's not just referring to apostles. The word apostle is to be sent out or messenger, okay? So through him, we, we you and I, have received grace. That means God's, God's favor upon us to enable us and has sent us out for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. In other words, we can't be obedient to God except through God. It's not because we're good enough or able on our own. It's because we rely on God to help us to be what God wants us to be. We have no hope in ourselves to be a godly people. Our hope is securely fixed on Jesus Christ, our God. And so... Um, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. If Paul wasn't just sent, you and I are sent, right? And Paul recognized that as a messianic Jew, he was called to be an emissary, a representative or apostle or witness or diplomatic representative from God to all nations. You know, I thought about this <laughs> You know, you see these representatives uh, of our country to other nations, 
and you think about the, the pomp and the, and the um, oh, I don't know, the authority, uh, the prestige, uh, the honor of being that person that represents America. And then I shift gears and I go, think about the, the honor and the, if you will, the spiritual prestige of being that representative of God in the world. We may not have, may not have the recognition, but the calling is far higher, is it not? Our calling as ambassadors is far higher than any calling of, a, of ambassadorship or any type of position that, re, that represents our nation. And so praise God that we have that. We're probably going to see that more definitively in heaven than we realize here, this side of heaven. And so what, is, what does uh, Acts 1.8 say? We, we're all familiar with that, I think. But as a reminder, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is not a fanciful request. We all know that this is a command of God. You are, you are sent out, as, a, as, as, as the word apostleship means, to be sent out. We are emissaries. We are representatives of God, ambassadors of God. And we are, we are commanded to go out, and he has given us the power to do what he's called us to do. And, and whenever we rely, again, on ourselves, we're going to fail. Or set ourselves up for failure. When we, when we cons consistently, humbly rely on God to do what he tells us to do, to rely on his power to be his people, then we see victory. We see that accomplished. So as you and I are called to stand out and plug the plugs of truth of Jesus in our conversation with people, let alone whatever activities we're involved in as a, as a testimony of God in our life, that we, we don't have to be intimidated or afraid, although that's what Satan wants, but we, we, we can walk with confidence and boldness knowing that as I'm yielding to the word of God, which is God's truth, which is God's command, which I am seeking to be obedient to, not of myself, but through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, we're in a good spot. Right? Do you get what I'm saying? No? If we're thinking that we're not capable, you're right. But when we're relying on the capability of Jesus that's empowered us, and we're seeking out to please him and do his will, then there's only victory in sight. And we can be the people. We don't have to be intimidated by it. There is a challenge to take that step. We might look at this and say, you know, I believe that. I believe in God. I believe God can do all this stuff. Right? A lot of people, a lot of Christians believe, but here's a question. How many Christians trust God? Oh, I know you can do it, God. Oh, great. Now, here, this is what I want you to do through me. And you start wavering to where you're not trusting the truth of God that empowers us. Not, not trusting that God will take care of whatever situation that we may be facing. So, like Paul, we're called to be witnesses and represent God to all the nations. You know, what is it that California has? A hundred and, what was it? At the uh, 
convention, was it 160 or 125 different ethnic groups in California alone? And how many of those are affected by Christians that are around them? That they have contact with their countries as well? God will use us in ways that we don't know. As a result of this call, God expects all of his people to uphold his name and reputation in the world. To stand up is to represent God to a world that needs to know him. But we have to take our calling seriously. We have to recognize that, that as we walk with God, as, as frightening as it might be, as, as intimidating it might be, we have to shift our focus and say, okay, I don't have to be afraid because you're the one that's doing this through me. You're the one that I am relying on. You're the one that's told me and I'm being faithful and obedient to you because I what? Trust you. We're called to trust God, not just believe that he can do it. Trusting God will help us to grow out of who we are and into who he's called us to be. But that's our own choice. As a result of this call, God expects all of his people to uphold his name and reputation in the world. We all mess up. We all do things and we go, what did I just do? What example is that to the world? That what, what did my neighbor just see? What's going on? All this type of stuff, right? We all, God knows that. But you know, praise God that God knows that and yet he still called us, right? He has still called us. It doesn't, it doesn't nullify what God has called us to do through him. Let's look at two of his commands in Leviticus 22 verses 31 and 32. Therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I know you know it, but I want to hear it from you. What does sanctify mean? Set apart, set aside for him. And so we can't be set apart, set aside for him if we're not having a cutting difference in our life from that of the world. Because that's the distinction. We're his people in a world of darkness, just like the Israelites. His chosen people, his nation of people, his word was given to them to teach the world. They were set apart in the way they did things, the way they focused on things, the way they prioritized things, the way they honored God. Everything about their culture was distinctively different from the world around them. And the same is true for you and I as Christians. We've been set apart. We have been sanctified. Set apart. Now, whether, whether you accept that or not, because if I'm talking to you directly by name, you as a believer in Christ, God has sanctified you. God has set you apart, set you aside for his kingdom work. And we're called to take that standing, again, as his representative in the world we live in. We are to remember his commands and obey them. Okay? We have grace. We're not under condemnation anymore because of disobeying his commands. Right? Romans 8.1 tells us that. We're no longer condemned. But we're fully received, right? And then number two, we are to respect his name and not profane it. Now you might say, well, profane means, well, I don't use God's name in vain. No, we're talking about name. Remember, you've heard me say this a number of times. The name of God is not just Jesus or Yahweh or, or Yahweh or, 
or whatever, Jehovah or Elohim, we're speaking about the character and the virtue of God. God has called us to represent his character, his virtue, his strengths, um, his priorities, his focus. It's easy to say, praise the Lord. It's easy to put a sticker on your car. It's easy to say, I'm a Christian. It's a whole other thing to live out his character. And that's what God wants us to do. Absolutely. We are to respect his name and not profane it by acting in a way that God, and God knows. I mean, nobody is um, capable of being a shining star for God or perfect in every way at any time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we can't be, we're not perfect. We all have our sinful natures and our shortcomings. As we spoke about a few weeks ago, Israel removed God's commands, and we saw that um, in 2 Kings chapter 17. And then we as well have removed God's word from our institutions, right? Last week we spoke of that. Push God out as much as we can, and we mentioned several things that, that validate that. We can recognize that we have broken God's first commandment, as we just read in Leviticus chapter 22, 31. And last week, I spoke about how good news, good God, excuse me, I spoke about how new gods replaced the old true God in Israel. And in America, we have done the same thing. So now we have uh, also broken the second commandment, right? We've broken the commandment to love God, to obey his commands as he's called us to. When we dishonor disrespect or profane God's name, i.e. character, we affect God's reputation or standing in the world. What, what type of reputation do we want people to see about God? And that God has, and his divine, holy um, nature has committed that to us to stand for him. We're sinful people, we're a, and we have many faults, we are weak in many ways, and yet God said, I want you to stand for me and bear my name with a good reputation. Why would God do that? Well, we're hopefully answer that. And being that we as humans have a sinful nature, it seems strange that our holy God would even choose us to represent him in this world. You, you called me? You called me to do what? You called me to stand where? You called me? You called me? He called you. He called me. He called every one of us as believers. He's called us, right? But God in his wisdom has chosen what? Frail, sinful humans and the rest of his creation to bear witness for him. Creation itself bears witness that he is God and he's called us as imperfect human beings to stand for him. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul once again makes this point about his call. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, 
We implore you in Christ on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. Look at that. He says, as though God were pleading through us. <laughs> God didn't have to use us. But he wants to demonstrate his power through us. God didn't have to use us. He wants people to see the very power of God living in and through us in spite of who we are in our flesh. But because of who we are in him. Does that make sense? So praise God for that. Like Paul, God uses us as his ambassadors to plead with others on his behalf. Do you have anybody in your life that you're going, man, their life is such a wreck, and I want to help them, and I pray and pray and pray they come to know the Lord. I pray and pray and pray, and you're, and you're, and you're just frustrated about it. And yet, in a sense, through your prayers, if anything, your prayers... You're pleading with God on their behalf. Or, or you're willing and available to God to speak when, you, when God calls you to, to maybe compel them to consider Jesus into their life. It's a frustrating place to be, but we can trust God with it. Um, years, years and years ago, well, that sounds awful. But... There was a lady in church, uh, my first church, and she came by herself. Uh, she always wanted her husband to come and get saved. And uh, she had already been praying since before we got there as a, as a pastor. And after we left, and I don't take this personally, but after we left, he started coming to church. He got saved. The point is, she told us that she prayed for nine years for her husband to be sitting next to her in church praising God together as believers in Christ and so we can plead with God on people's behalf through prayer and conversation and we can look to God to take care of that and trust him with that of course he's not going to force anybody but he certainly can work in their lives to help them see where they're at Knowing my own frailties, some of you know my frailties, it seems like God would, would, would do a much better job representing himself by himself rather than what I could or what you could, right? But God does want to demonstrate his power through us, not just to others, but he wants us to see his power in spite of our weaknesses in our life. And that's exciting. When we actually... We believe, but then when we, when we take the heart that says, I'm going to trust you, and then we let God do what he wants to do through us because we're trusting him, we see the power of God working through us in spite of who we are. And it brings honor and glory to God, and we grow as a result. So we must trust him. God wants to demonstrate his power and who he is and his name through us to a world that needs to know him. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good, good pleasure. God restores, will stir our hearts to do those good things that he wants us to do for him. But we have to say, when we're looking at it and we go, okay, I hear you, Lord. I got, you got through. Then we trust him and we rely on his power to go ahead and follow through with that. 
that we have to do that. John 14, 12, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And this points us to God's power as it works in us to uphold his reputation in the world and spread his word. So we need to make it a priority to live out what Galatians 2.20 2 says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That doesn't have to be uh, an unattainable high ideal. That should be where our life is with Christ. We should, we should be saying, you know, I was crucified with Christ. In other words, who I am is now dead in essence. I'm not, me is not the priority anymore. It's, it, my desire is to live, but to live my life in Christ and Christ living through me and not me living for me. And we have to come to a place in our Christian walk where we're, where we're actually embracing that. Hey, the fullness of life is knowing, not only knowing Jesus, but experiencing him living through us and that our life is all and totally wrapped up in living for him. When we're at that place, and, and you know, you might say, well, you know what? We just don't attain that and maintain that. But there is, there is the heart resolve that says, that's where I choose to be. So even when we falter, we can readjust ourselves through our relationship with God and line ourselves up with him. And so Christ is now the one that should be living through us. We no longer should be living our own life for ourselves. And we may feel frail, sinful, inadequate. Do we ever feel that way? <laughs> you know, we do. But God has still called us to hold up his name and to give a good reputation to his name. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. <clears throat> and the base things of the world and the things which are despised of God has chosen. And the things are which are despised of God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. In other words, what I've been saying, God will work, the, God works the greatest through the odds that are stacked up against us. When we can realize, no matter how weak or frail or inadequate we might feel, when God leads, when God reveals, and we know he can do it, and we put our trust in him, God is simply teaching us that no matter what the circumstance, he can work through us for him. He has chosen you to stand for him. He works through you to help you stand for him. And he expects you to keep his name and reputation and good standing in this world. If we're concerned, and I know we are for America, let alone the world around us, don't entertain that, do not entertain that there is no hope. Do not entertain that the end is so near that we don't need to try. 
We don't need to resolve that we're going down the tube so fast we can't do anything about it. That's not what God wants. God didn't say, bear my name until you see you going down the tubes. <laughs> bear his name even more when you see that approaching. And people, God is working through people, believers, as I've already noted. And I'm seeing more and more of that. And you and I are called to be even the more and more of that. Because that influence will um, impact others. You've seen it before. If it's real popular, people jump in. So if they hear people saying more and more about God, you hope they pop in. But here's the thing. It's not just us declaring our faith in God. It's them seeing the power of God in our faith and through our lives. And that is compelling. So we, got, we need to seek ways to restore God as our God in America. We must seek ways to put God's word back into our institutions. We must seek ways to push out the false gods. We must seek ways to be a witness for God. Elect people that profess or, and their actions show that they're Christians. Look for values that are important for us to support. Pray for our country, obviously. Pray for individual leadership, obviously. Pray for individuals in our world. Pray for the, the, the social influence of all the crud that's hitting, I start to say hitting the fan, but I'm sorry. We need to pray for all these things and ask God to help us to stand in the midst of it. And when we stand in love and grace and truth through God and God through working through us, then we're upholding his name. And God has empowered us to do just that. Let's go to the Lord. Father, let our, um, I'm trying to think of the word, Lord. legacy, let's say. That one part of our legacy as believers in, in you, Lord, be one that says they upheld the name of God. That people, when they think about us, they will see that we are, we are strong in faith and action, that we love and trust God, that we allow God to live in and through us and accomplish what he wants his way, and that people will say they stood for God and his name. That's a mark of honor that brings you glory. So help us to pursue that more and more and more in our personal walk and in the opportunities in our everyday life that you call us to live. May we remember we're carrying your name. May we hold your name up as a banner, not being hid but lifted up high that people will see it for we ask it in Jesus name amen